1: All my memory, all my, all right.
0: Yeah, you know, I notice uh, Chrome must have a small memory leak somewhere because if I leave the same browser window open with multiple tabs
1: for more than like retain something for every single window and yeah. that stacks up exactly. And even if I close it, my system goes wonky. It's it's funny. I I think a number of good habits that I developed over the course of time about. Uh, I don't usually leave apps open. I kind of go in and out of them. Something, well, I take it back. Certain ones, like my calendar or a browser where I have multiple things going on. But I refresh regularly because just the first time you see any kind of bog down, you know what I mean, anything taking too long or whatever, it's like, well, I actually used to have a utility that went and did memory cleanup. You know, memory becomes fragmented much like your hard drive used to. And so it would just do that little cleanup. And oftentimes it was, I'd get, you know three gig back or something like that that seemed to be enough to zip things up but the best way to do it as you know is not only to close apps but to like restart your system and have it all start (laughs) off with a a vast new horizon of memory allocation yeah
0: (laughs) it's amazing the number of times i open multiple windows like okay i just looked something up i want to remember those for later and like three days later i go why was I looking that up? I don't care about that. Right. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Probably the, the most memory intense things that I do, you know, when I'm making, getting ready for presentations, I have my main presentation tool open, most often, uh, sometimes PowerPoint, but most of the time, Apple's Keynote. And then I have the graphics thing over here and the video thing over here and a couple browsers that I, and just the act of skipping around amongst them and maybe having multiple palettes open. They all seem to accumulate memory as time goes by yeah. and I, I end up having to be okay I'm like halfway done with the presentation but instead of slogging through let's save everything calm down <laughs> if anything clear my head as well you know sometimes when you're working on a presentation it's good to just go to lunch and Take your a, mind yeah. is kind of working out in the background like we have laughed about and then when you come back there's oh. better organization there's new things you had not thought of There's, right. all, I, you I, gotta
0: I, reboot your brain too yeah exactly <laughs> And, and you know what, you know. Uh, there, there's so many things that run in the background now that never used to. I mean, you know, back in the days when I I booted from a floppy, you didn't have viruses, but you also didn't have consistent running apps and things. Absolutely. Um, and when I check my memory uh, one, and the CPU, one of the things that eats it up the most in the middle of the day, and I've tried to adjust it, is my cloud backup. I'm like why is my cloud backup eating like 47% of my memory right, right. now? Instead you of it's going off
1: at two in the morning, instead yeah. of it being that, you know, it's, it's, it's set up so that it's a memory sipper instead of a memory gobbler. Right. You know what I mean? I, we have often talked about this. I have emulation going, you know, while I'm doing things, I'm also often testing the windows environment and you can actually tune that to say, what's the maximum amount I'm going to allow it or, If you allow it to save for something that it knows is really a memory intensive, a critical thing, that it will um, take it on. But it will surrender it back when it's done. Right. And then sometimes it seems to lose track of that. You know what I mean? That all of a sudden my parallels, and I I shouldn't say that about parallels. Parallels really seems to be really smart. It's in like version 17 now. So they've had many, many, many chances to see things. And in fact, uh, as you know, I got a new uh, Mac with the M1 chip which is zippy fast in so many ways, but in emulation and in, in certain other things, uh, uh, disk management that, that people trail behind because there's all kinds of new complexity to yeah. learning. Not only Apple didn't have necessarily a new file system, but how it does those things in the way that we're talking about, that it's um, refreshing your indices or making a backup or whatever. It needed to learn how to work with the M1's inherent memory management In order to do that so that the old ways didn't work as well let's learn the new ways parallels took wow it's august so it took eight months for it to get i think i got my new back in december it took eight months of smart people (laughs) working in every way they could with the m1 to make sure that their emulation is now to that new metal you know part of emulation is that you're in the background capturing every instruction and call and and simulating a different environment so even different, since we had a great session on Linux and others last time, it's very fascinating to me that someone knows an operating system so deeply that they really know everything that would ordinarily go to your monitor, to your soundboard, to your, every driver, every 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 in, input and output. You know, it's, it's monitoring every port, and it's able to handle USB things and, and obviously right. your Ethernet connection or your Wi-Fi, all without you having to worry about... Wi Fi in under Windows is slightly different than Wi Fi under Mac. And I, you know what I mean? I just, yeah. I'm fascinated yeah. by someone that has such a deep understanding that, that you don't that, have to worry about it. <laughs> that architecture <laughs> you know? so,
0: programming is
1: like, I, I don't even want to deal with
0: that. <laughs> That's yeah. way too deep for what I like to get into. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll tell you, it, 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 we always go off, you know, we, we start on something. One of the things that was a huge, Mind change for me was when I first started to program for GUIs. You know what I mean? Back in procedural days, I go back far enough that it was you know not, not only COBOL and BASIC, but um, and let's say COBOL. It's a very procedural language. It's very you you actually have good programming practices that you don't even have the the go to drop through of a BASIC program. Oh, wow. You really should do it in structured blocks. So you always know what's going on. But there's never a time in your program when you're trying to debug it where you couldn't say, "I got to here." And something must have happened here as compared to the world of event-driven programming where it's got all those little demons running in the background waiting for you to do something that it's going to capture. And the world of memory management, error management, all that was amazingly different to think of. Well, what I used to think of as a subroutine, everything is a subroutine now, and they've all got to play really nice and really cleanly. I can't have my variables getting used up, my, my you know, it, it isn't a matter of naming conventions now or just making variable a different name. You really have to be aware of how it does its memory stack, you know, and, and again, you know, the, the pop on pop off type thing, right. That uh, you don't let the programs get lost, conflict with each other, compete for resources. And, it, and when something works, it's beautiful and amazing because you're kind of like a, a conductor in an orchestra. Everybody out there knows exactly how to play their instrument. You don't have to know how to play every instrument. Right. But every instruction you send to them assumes that when I tell the oboe to do something, it's not going to act <laughs> like a clarinet. It's not going to bleed over into the string section. Now, I, I strained the metaphor, but right, I, right. my it's, first big triumph of big programs like that was, wow, there's so much more than I can keep track of in my head, even in a long 30-page program before. You could take your color pens and trace out what was going on and this was a whole new, like, there's a pool of things that could happen. Right. And i got to make each of those pools independently smart so that they don't bonk into each other. So it was both of an expansion and a contraction, if you will. And that was a <laughs> – like, they you know, they have whole computer languages that were all about that. When you went to C, when you went to C++, when you went to – like, I started off with Path Pascal and Path Pascal, where you could do those things. I I'd date myself, but one of the joys of being a computer coder is – you have an appreciation for languages. You know, if you speak, if you're a polyglot, you have an idea of, well, every language has to have certain constructs. Everybody wants to know how to say hello, right, how to, you right. know what your names are for family where's members. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> right. Where's the bathroom? Exactly that. You know, please please do not harm me. I am a journalist. You know, that kind of thing. So when I, when you learn computer languages, you can see that everybody had to come up with how they're going to do the, the conditional, the if-then-else, or the yeah. repeat loop, or whatever else it might be. And then when you break through into event-driven programming, there's a whole new thing of um, C and its whole idea of uh, inheritance and how it was not only about making the program work, it was about writing usable code that you could um, be efficient in what you're doing while still making it maintainable into the future. Well, my first C code, I used to call it like a write-only language. You know what I mean? It, you could so quickly get lost in the weeds of how it does inheritance, how, how right. you um, play with, I don't know, not, recursion is not the right word, though that was some of the things I used it for. You had to get an idea of I, I have to keep track of where I am in cyberspace, bad word again, to, to know the scope of the variable that I've set and the uh, how it's going right. to create that in memory, if you will. And I, honestly, 90% of my early errors were nothing about, I had a typo. I didn't know the language. I didn't know what parameters went with the command. It was always having to deal with, I'm running into a memory leak. I'm running into an error condition that I had not accounted for. And so that I used to always talk about, you know, coding is creating order out of chaos. And to get something working in the one way you thought about it, it's going to go. That's 90% of the job. And then to make it so that it's bulletproof—that's the other ninety percent. Right, right. You know, to make it so right. you could account for what anybody might be able to do in their in their crazy condition at their keyboard with their mouse, just whatever things might be interruptive. It it was a whole new level of uh, accounting for everything. Yeah, making sure that you know. I, wow, and that's,
0: and that's why when people <laughs> complain and say, "Oh, Microsoft sucks," this, that, and the other thing, I'm not saying that they're perfect or great or anything like that, but what they got to realize is you installed 5 million things, all these different programs, all these things that run in memory, all these drivers, you know, you have different hardware than the guy next to you and all this. That's usually where the problems come in. Not so much Windows, uh, though Windows has its problems. And, uh, you know, moving out of the old programming to the new era of programming, the hardest thing for me was the variables because, Back in the day, you'd have a variable, and that was it. It was a variable. It changed its thing. But now you could pass a variable into a function and just treat it locally in that function, but when it came back, it k- retained its original settings, or you could pass it back and change it. And just that power of being able to do that took me so long to wrap my head around because I was so yeah. used to it just always changes. And yeah. and then, like you said, you know, writing a function or whatever – So write everything one time and then reuse it over and over. And it took a while to get used to that uh, because it was like you know so used to step 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 you know right through the program
1: exactly. It took a while. Wait, you know it's kind of funny. Through the the I um, as I was learning how to do event driven programming, one of the things that I really loved were there were various different vendors like MetroWorks, like Microsoft that had foundation classes. They had said man, you don't need to write uh, a driver for a printer every time you don't need to write how to throw a, a menu. Up on, I'm sorry, a window up on the screen, including the right menu bar and all that stuff. We're, we've done these things so that that's how you're really going to operate. We've thought of the 300 different components that every kind of GUI program is going to make use of. And if you play by the rules, not only will they work correctly, but generationally, we will do all of the... Um, Uh, improving or deprecating as we give you the new and the old versions. And that when you have to update code, you know, I don't know, I've written stuff that's 30 years old now that still works because I played by the rules. Right. I always admired the people that were able to say, well, I could write this a little bit better. But then you would see it break spectacularly because they had played a game with memory. They had done things that were just kind of outside of, um, boy, Apple early on had a great book by a guy named Tognazzini, if I remember right, Bruce Tognazini, about the mindset you need to be in, in design, in how you're writing a program that is user-oriented, that you're always thinking of, make them comfortable, make, make all the options available to them. There should never be a time where they don't know what's going on. You know, so like just that whole interesting discipline of, Um, Put a progress bar up on screen. Put a spinning beach ball or hourglass. Don't let them think, is it frozen? Should I do something? (laughs) And and then, you know, if if you're going to, like, click on something because you're not sure, don't have it be that the window that hasn't popped up yet and where they would click is going to have a cancel button where the OK button used to be. (laughs) And how many times, Uh! like, how could you design something like that? And yet I saw it so many times. Because they they have
0: the window pop up with the main button focused on where the mouse is. And that was an old practice, too. They would do that.
1: Exactly. So
0: many times I I did that.
1: And and we've laughed about this a little bit. After having gotten good at at Mac programming and fourth dimension, a wonderful database program that also incorporated a whole bunch of programmability, that's actually what I wrote my my, uh, uh, genetic algorithm-based trading systems in because I had to have the power of that deep database, but I also had to be able to do all of my parameter driving, all that kind of stuff um, when... I started to do browser coding, and it was that reversion, terrible reversion, back to HTML, and as if I was writing to a printer where I only have a certain number of controls, and I um, tried, it was, wow, I can do things so elegantly if I control everything. If I'm going to write in a browser, I, it's not only that I want to use the classes they've created and the way it should look, what they've given me are building blocks compared to the Ferrari that I currently have. I am so primitive, in what I'm trying to do now as simple a thing as maintaining state. You know what I mean? When you go in and out of a browser, most people, they, some people, of course, you really want to clear everything so that there's no security concerns and stuff like that. But in other cases, you know, if you're working on, like I'm trying to get a reservation through an airline and I want to be able to bring back up, what was I looking at when I was last doing this? It was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. To try to just maintain, it knows who I am. It knows where I came from. I got to have some kind of unique identifier, or be able to put that in so that it can go access its things on the server. Lots of uh, hidden fields that you store info in as you saw, pass the pages. And that, <laughs> when you learned how to do it, then you started to be like, "Well, this is exactly the shite that hackers are going to expect. <laughs> that I don't want to have a hidden pixel that somehow identifies me across sites. And then when you saw, honestly when I was even first coding and saw how much I had to maintain memory and error management. And when it was difficult, it was like, this is exactly where they're going to exploit it. When I'm trying to access an SQL server database from a place that's like not, that it's not built into, that doesn't have that wrapper of, you can only do it a certain number of ways. It's exactly the stack overflow that's going to be able to have me do a code injection. And, and, and I was a pretty good guy. I did things out of curiosity to see would that happen. Yes, it indeed does. So, You know, get on it, people who are defending against this kind of stuff. I've never been a bad guy in that way. But, boy, I sure have been quickly aware of this This is bad. They should patch this right away. (laughs) And and so back to, you know, pixels on screens and stuff like that. When I, I did a lot of work in Ameritech as a consultant, and we first started to do some of the middleware, for they have all kinds of programs running on big iron, but people are getting used to being able to do things from, Um, A a GUI interface. So how do I make it so they can see all the parameters that you're going to like inject into JCL? Good Lord, am I dating myself? So that it runs a COBOL program properly and then returns results elegantly, where you can actually open the file through Panvelay or Librarian. Again, I'm I'm sorry, nerds in the world, if if your eyes are (laughs) glazing over, even though you're really a geek, it's because we've got 40 years of geekery (laughs) behind us. And so... Some places we're really good about, we've thought about it, and here's a, um, an interface, an API that you can use to get to these things, even though uh, we're trying to make it. I mean, CICS early on tried to simulate interactivity because it really wasn't that you had the computer waiting for you. You put things into a queue, and it got you know re- re- um, requests off of a queue and then gave things to you, and it did all of its own round-robin and priority management in the background so that you could – it seemed as if you were getting near real-time response. Well, they they had to simulate that with a whole bunch of the new middleware that was going to talk to older programs, and some were clean and good, and some were, nope, you're on your own. We don't maintain that anymore, and so you're going to – and like, I I swear, I must have written some things for Ameritech that I should have bundled that up and gone to all the rest of Big (laughs) Iron in the world and said, you know that pesky – IEB jenner, IEB copy problem that you're having because you're still getting tapes, physical tapes from your your um subsidiaries, and that's already having to process, but you want to control that from your GUI interface? I
0: Here we go. Yeah. yeah. I had a couple of those. Right. Here's the, the the most fun one I remember was uh they wanted to start selling their products online. And this was a company that sold bolts and screws and stuff, little things. Mm-hmm. And The system they had currently was an old VAX system that the whatever was running would only allow five items per order at a time. Now, can you imagine companies that are going in and ordering a hundred different bolts and screws? And they said, well, what we want you to do is create an interface for our machines to the VAX system so that they can have orders as big as they want and everything. And I'm like,
1: What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's something difficult, right? You know? It, 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 you, was, it was weird. Yeah. Big shout out, by the way. You know, it's kind of funny. We like to name drop because we, we have known, I've known all kinds of amazing, brilliant people in my life. A guy I work with at Pete Marwick and that has been a lifelong friend named Randy Meacham is one of the first guys that I knew. Like, when I was at Pete Marwick, we used to get um, IEB copy tapes. Um, that there was no equivalent. We had Wang Systems instead of IBM, That the the uh, catalyst group of Pete Marwick that did code restructuring. They didn't have all the utilities on Wang they had on IBM. So he actually wrote the equivalent of an IEB copy. You know, IB Jenner is very serial. IEB copy actually has an index table at the front, and it tells you where things are on the tape. And he figured out painstakingly, how that index was structured, how, and and as you might imagine, all the things like, well, it was working and then it broke. Oh, because they have some kind of uh, on days with twenty eight or thirty one instead of thirty days, they put in special conditions. And I, that it, that isn't a good example. I don't think a real one, but all kinds of things. Way back when you had to worry about was it character or data? Was it compressed data in a COBOL? You know, you could have a pick or a pick three where it included a picture clause, or that it was a compressed field. And him being able to figure out all of what the IBM close to the metal programmers had done to store data in various different formats and then be able to read it without there really being an IB copy. So the reason I mention all that is when I was doing some of these things for Ameritech or other places, I was, this is so much nothing. It's going to look like a miracle to the people that I'm here with. But I knew a guy that really figured out... Like, he did the Rosetta Stone of programming. Yeah. He he figured out an amazingly difficult problem. And...
0: The the kids nowadays don't have to deal with that stuff, usually. Because, you know, like you said, the APIs, the interface, and all of that, it's designed to connect fairly simply, you know? I mean, I got so many programs, I can choose my cloud service to store things on, and bam,
1: there it is. Exactly. And and they've made it so that you kind of can't make a mistake. You know what I mean? And this is... uh, another no. thing that uh, coders quickly learn is to reuse things they've done before. They have kind of a library they carry around with them, or at least a library of ideas. And so when I was, we were, um, I mentioned Pete Marwick, and we it was, we had programs called Structured Retrofit and Pathview. And what Pathview did was tell you about how convoluted your code was. Was it, was it good COBOL, well-structured, or was it spaghetti COBOL, where now those are the programs that everybody in the shop says, only Big Al knows how to maintain that. If he ever dies in a fiery bus crash, we're screwed because nobody else can figure out how convoluted this thing is. We had tools written by John Delmonico and then maintained by Jerry Hawkins, other huge brains that worked at Pete Mark. I was so privileged to work with brilliant people early that they had figured out how to transform that spaghetti cobalt into structured COBOL. Wow. Reformat it. And not only reformat it like, oh, let's make sure that it's all starting at column seven. No, it was how to actually rebuild the code so that it was all perform-based no drop through. It was brilliant. I, what well, My small contribution to all of this was I did a lot of work at the Aetna. It was my first out-of-town job. And uh, what I just laughed about, you know, JCL is an unnatural act. It's incredibly unforgiving if you miss a single things in the wrong column, a single column in a, oh. in a parameter string. It, it just boards out. And the error codes it gives you are you know what I mean? There, you have to continue. you had a problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what I did was I wrote a little interface in, uh, let's see, it would have been, it used to be MVS. This was one step back, VM, that collected the various different things you needed to run that job. What's the exact name of your file? Uh, and, and you had to know if it was, as I mentioned, kind of like IBM Standard or Panvolet or Librarian, so you had version control and all the parameters, and then it built the JCL for you, so that it was perfect JCL, no mistakes. You didn't leave out a column. You didn't overflow without the dash in column 79 or 80 that said this is a continuing line. And it was, the Aetna was incredibly ha- happy that they were like, well, can, we don't want to just use it for the structured retrofit jobs we're doing. We want this to be for every single job we got running. And and so when I brought that back to Pete Marrick that, I, I, another friend, H. Huseman, whose real name first name really is H, the letter H, which is a cool way to go through life because cool. everybody remembers you. <laughs> yeah. They had the license plate that said, like, just H or H no dot. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's <laughs> great. <laughs> and so um, they they were very happy then to have that become of part of what they offered. And I, I don't know real numbers, but there must have been some part of, when you go in and you're doing a demo to try to sell these tools, they were not inexpensive. It was the big shops that had long thorny spaghetti code COBOL programs that might need us, but then it wasn't just how, what did they do to the COBOL code? When you sat down and did this little JCL creator type thing, can't tell you how many times, you know, like you read about this all the time, right, where the the add-on, kind of the almost the throwaway feature, is actually what people are saying, oh, I want that so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you make sure that I can control with, you know, I don't know, It was it was very nice that I uh, to have made some small contributions to what was going on. I worked on the formatter there for a while because we were vying for a big government um, contract, and it was impossibly hard. You know what I mean? I I I was there. I used to go in at like five o'clock and work until midnight and catch the last train out because I needed the full power of our Wang systems to be able to do multiple runs multiple tests in the evening and i had to wait for everybody else to go home to do that right. so i just i i made some big sacrifices early on because it was like well that's a thorny problem i think i can do it but then you know when you're there late at night and you're like it's about like 10 30 and you still got a while to go but nobody else is there and you're like nobody else has to do this right, right in the world you know am i going to get a doubling of my bonus. Now I'm going to get 20% instead of 15%. Yeah, we'll take you out to lunch. <laughs> Honestly. And so I, I say this all the time. I know I'm going out. Maybe I'm just excited today. I, I got nice <laughs> Not raises Not even your and birthday. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at Arthur Anderson and then Pete Marrick, I regularly got like 20% raises and bonuses. I got quite good money. But then what made, made me into a consultant was you find out that you're making 25 bucks an hour and they're billing you out at 125. And then I became a senior, and they were billing me out at 250, and I had gone up from like 50 to 70 or whatever else it might be. And like so this system is not set up to do anything but exploit me. And when I looked at my peers, the ones that hadn't made the sacrifice of being out of town for a year, that hadn't made the sacrifice of staying up all night, they were still, as I said, getting 15% instead of 20. And like when I looked at how many extra hours I had put in compared to what I had gotten paid for those extra hours. I was making like French fry wages. I was the guy at McDonald's listening for the beep. And I like, man, if I'm going to do this for a living, I really need to like take on more risk in order to get more reward. And so, and that's kind of name dropping day. Carol Lake, a a, a consultant at Pete Marwick. That was, she was the first one that kind of said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take on more risk and get more reward. And I don't even know that she was, like the, the superstar there, but she had grit. She she was the one that was willing to say, let's roll the dice. And so I was like, wow, you know, if Carol can do it, I can do it. I, I should follow that smart, brave example. And then after that, it was, I, I made much better money than what they were paying me at Pete Marwick by doing work at Ameritech, at Quaker Oats, at Chicago Board of nice. Trade, and all that kind of stuff. This is kind of funny. Here, I guess this is uh, Al's resume uh, episode. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you know, but, but I don't know. I was very happy that when I worked at Ameritech as a consultant, every year I gave myself a little raise when it came down to um, time to renegotiate the contract, you know, kind of year by year. And my, I, I I wasn't totally independent. I worked for a company that was kind of my finder, if you will. And yet they didn't have to do much work. I kept getting approved at Ameritech. I was re- renewed at Ameritech like 13 years in a row. So when I looked at it, giving myself a little bit of a raise, Ameritech never objected. They, I gave them like you know half of the of the new little raise, but I kept making the bigger share of it. And so Roundabout was a reason that I have so many comics and so many albums and so many CDs is because even though I was working tons of hours, I was making pretty good money early on, enough that I had, like by being out of town for Pete Marwick, you know, people talk about this, they went and they worked in inhospitable conditions in Texas when the there was a big strike and the management had to do all of the running of the uh, refineries and stuff like that. But in a year, they made huge triple-time bonus type money, and that kind of sets you up for life. If you can yeah. get out of rent and into a house early, if you can buy a car for cash instead of having to take out a loan, and I had some similar experiences to that. Yeah. I worked hard, but boy... My rewards were nice, and I, I didn't have to worry as much about that trade-off anymore. You know what I mean? Whenever right. I was, hey, this this concert's pretty expensive. Well, if I'm making like a hundred dollars an hour, and the ticket costs a hundred bucks, uh, go work wow, an hour. I can do that pretty easily, actually. Yeah. Why am I fooling myself? Because yeah. I still had staunch midwestern values growing up where you're just parsimonious you know what i mean i just had
0: that conversation with somebody <laughs> over the weekend because that way of thinking my father doesn't get as far as my father's concerned i haven't worked in over 20 years that i just sit upstairs playing on my computer all day wow he see, even told doesn't
1: the, have the gig mentality doesn't have no, the not at all he even okay. told
0: the neighbor he's like yeah his wife goes out to work every day and he just sits in the house and, and i've been doing this for over 20 years and yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm consulting, working for myself, you know, billing out, getting money. And we went to the neighbor's kid's birthday party when my kids were little and he goes, Hey, you you need to go talk to Rosie's, uh, uh, husband. I'm like, Oh really? Why? Well, he runs this computer store down in Canada. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. He's like, yeah, maybe he'll give you a job. I don't want to go work at a computer (laughs) store for like a third of what I'm making right now.
1: Exactly. (laughs)
0: Jumping back, though, on something you said earlier about the the reusing and all that, one of the things I've been playing around with is um, Python, which I've mentioned, but I would love to write something uh, that a good app, a good game or something that runs on mobile, on phones, on tablets, things like that. It's very difficult to write across Mm -hmm. board without tons of tools, Uh, especially Apple. They don't make it easy on you. They've gotten better. Okay. Um, but one of the things I found for Python was called KIVY, K-I-V-Y. There's and no it's it's a framework, essentially, that allows you to write in Python and write your code. And then you basically click a button and it exports it into the format needed for Android and iOS. And you can go through the stores and upload it and all that. Write once
1: multi-platform instead of different versions yeah. that, have, that will go out of sync, depending on what they're right. doing in each of their OS. Okay, And yes. there's not a lot of...
0: Things that do that most of the time, you're you're two separate uh, IDEs or something, writing separate and trying to you know keep your code in line. Right. Um, one of the things though about Kivi is that when you write uh, buttons or windows and stuff, it doesn't use the system default; it has its own. So the downside is, even on uh, Apple products, it won't look like an Apple product; it'll look different. And I'm not sure why they do that if it's just because it's too difficult to do it across the board. But so it's that balance because I I can definitely know that people, you know, I pick up my Apple phone. I know how to use every app. They all look alike and they're comfortable with that. So you throw something at them that's not, and they look at, you know, maybe they don't even use it. So you could have the best program in the world. And just because your buttons don't look the same. People right. would dismiss it, so that you know there's a trade-off there.
1: I hear you, boy, I've experienced exactly those kinds of things. You know what I mean? That when, once you get used to the um, overall elegance and look-alikeness of Apple, that when you drop into Windows or do anything that was there was probably 20 years when things were still being written for Apple that weren't using Apple's Foundation classes. Right. Just, and And um, nowadays, boy, I'll tell you, their tools are great in terms of. Swift and it supports multiple languages and and it really uh, again um, back to one of the things you learned early at Pete Marwick about how to write good code and and especially how you structured code was you had to isolate the I O that you you if you're depending on what monitor you were talking to whatever database you know IMS IDMS etc you had to be able to isolate that because that's where you you um when you're doing your testing, you need to know that it was exactly this area and that you could pump a bunch of data through it and not worry about that it was buried in the code, but that it was right here where you could look at it and analyze it. Well, that's a very important thing. We're doing anything multi-platform nowadays that you really need to know um, how it talks to the outside world, not just within its own internal interface. And that's been very helpful. And um, as we've gone through multiple versions of it handles a serial port different than a parallel port. And then it handles a Wi-Fi different than a fixed connection. And all, all of those things for the new paradigm of, well, it's not always on, but you need to be able to return to where it was just before. So how do you, how do you maintain a constant near constant connection? Even if that's not really what's happening. See, so this is, is this, I love geeking it up like this. You know, there's a stack, right? There's a seven level stack. Right. Of how you do those kinds of things. And, um, each system recommends how to do it so that it's a, always a trade-off between um, throughput or constant access, if you will. You know what I mean? That you need to be able to break a connection. You can't assume that you've been able to maintain it. And even if you want to, it can't, be you know, there's times when a tower will drop your signal while you're driving or whatever else it might be. And so, especially when they started to deal with any kind of media like music, where any break, any glitch, you, you immediately notice it. You know what I mean? You might get drop out on the phone and just say, well, that's because the phone's crackly but a, a song stuttering in the middle, right. a movie stuttering so they got so smart early on about codecs, about things that compress and decompress and how to do bursty stuff that it does a whole bunch of processing so that it maintains the stream of what's coming to the right. screen, but in the background it's doing a whole different thing for how it's attaching and getting the next and queuing and decompressing and all that kind of stuff and one of the cool things was all kinds of stuff that I learned about compression and decompression apply very much to encryption and decryption. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The transformations that you're doing of data. So another one of those reuse things of like, I am so comfortable in this world of like prime number seeking, fractal ish, a uh, bursty type, all those transmission and decoding and all the kind of stuff. It had incredible applicability across multiple things that I worked on <laughs> over the course of my life. And I think that most people's brains identify that, you know, well, this is very, it, it um, you find similarities and differences, you know, the, the whole compare and contrast in your essay between this and this <laughs> and this, and all, so many things that I thought when I was young, well, this is just an exercise, but you find out how important outlining is, how important compare and contrast um, is, how close is it? Like when you're looking at doing things in C, there's a choice you make between is it worth writing another class or is it worth taking an existing class and, and inheriting, but also changing some things right, about right. It. and you get that feel for, well, what's more elegant, what's more maintainable, what's more understandable. And if you want to write code that you don't have to content, a uh, uh, comment on it throughout <laughs> to just explain what you're trying to do and not explain to somebody else. When you come back in six months, if you stare at your own code and you're like,
0: what the hell? Oh, yeah. How here? did I do that? Why did I do that? <laughs> Why did I do Who that? Who wrote that? Oh, I did. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> when did and, I and do that? Was I awake?
1: Yeah. I loved when uh coding outfits started to really be about that, that it wasn't just about what's the fastest version we can give to the user. It was also that whole idea of maintainability. You know, and there's a famous quote of, you know, if woodpeckers, no you know, if, uh, if we built buildings like coders, build code, one woodpecker would bring down civilization. You, you learn how to write good, maintainable, well, the, the variable names make sense. You comment where you need to, but not overcomment because that seems, you know, this is a print routine. Yeah, I could tell right away through the use of this command <laughs> that it's a, thank you. you know. <laughs> oh well, I yeah. inheriting code when I used to go into places and had to like fix problems that things had broken. You get it, it's kind of you know you can tell a writing style. I think I might be able to pick out your writings for after having read a couple of your short stories and books. You know you can tell a Poe from a Lamour from yeah. a, a you know Hemingway or something like that. Well, you get that idea about coding styles too. You know what I mean? how they write, how they code, what constructs they choose to use when there's a choice. Some people love case statements and some people really have a sequence of embedded if then else's. Oh, geez. And <laughs> I know I'm geeking out, but you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's really cool to be able to say, wow, I knew this guy and this is his code from a previous job that now we're having to work on. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know this code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know this code. You work on it.
0: Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> And, and, you know, speaking there's got to be
1: all, code out there that I'm embarrassed about I know oh, there's got to be stuff oh, that I wrote that's there's like, code, you know, I, I code I
0: work on now that I'm like oh I, I know I was just in a hurry when I did that let me right. fix the this
1: the quick and dirty versus yeah, the sometimes. perfectly maintainable exactly <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, uh, another thing I've been doing because I mentioned Linux Mint uh, right. I'm finding that 80 ish percent of what I do I can do on this Linux Mint uh, okay. You know, because like we talked about, most of what I do is, you know, uh, through browsers or whatever. And I can For use a consumption. different editor. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. know, I mean, I can't use Word on it, but I have a Word processor. So I consider that doing the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I'm playing around with is a game uh, maker framework uh, to make a game. I've got several on Windows. Honestly, it's easier on Windows, but. You know, I'm just seeing what I can do and being yeah. able to say, Hey, I did all of this on Linux Mint. I used open source software, you know, one of those geek things. Okay. Um, but the program I'm really starting to like because of the way they build it. It's very programmer logic, but easy gooey UI. Okay. And I'm like, this is cool because I, I get how it's working and how I think mm-hmm. and I actually am starting to like it a little better than a similar one I have on Windows. So that's, you know, always cool to look at something new and try.
1: Exactly. And if anything, I hardly ever, I I don't mean to, um, sometimes I want to learn a tool so well that it's second nature. It just kind of flows out of your fingertips and stuff like that. But then, Something comes along that has many improvements, and there's that little bit of angst of, am I really going to make the change? I feel really comfortable <laughs> over here, but boy, this stuff. And then, like I, when I changed to Swift, you know, when I got out of other programming languages and went to Swift, it was there really are so many benefits to this, and it it, it matches my mindset. It matches the mindset of the right GUI and the right, right depth and all the cast kind of stuff and. And I don't know. I have the ability to go back to other things, but usually what they're accompanied by is, "Oh, that's the old bad way of doing things." Right, I, right. I, in the course of my career, as you might imagine, um, I'm always—I was really good at seeing a parade and getting in the front of it. You know what I mean? You know what new developments are coming and I'd rather learn the new and be one of the early adopters and an early expert in it. Cause that way, when people are choosing to adopt, there's an enthusiasm and there's a, um, and there's good rates and stuff like that for being able to do that. But because I had all these older skills, I was often asked to dragged into, well, we really need to maintain um, mainframe stuff here as well. Can you work on that as well? And it was, Wow. It isn't so like, then you're going to pay the scarcity penalty and the discomfort penalty. You know what I mean? It isn't the standard rates because I know that there aren't that many people that are doing watt four, watt five anymore for their report generator. And the fact that I can still do it, there's no joy in it. There's no, you know what I mean? (laughs) I, I had a number of things that I took on that really were you give a rate that to scare them off because you really don't want to do they the They say work. yes, we're that and then desperate. They still say yes, and it's like, <laughs> well, I guess I'm in for a quarter, or then you know what I mean. Yeah. And I learned to be very defensive. It's like I'm not doing this for a year. I'm going to do a quarter, and we'll see if you like what I'm doing. But really, what I'm saying is, I'll see if I like what I'm doing, and I want to continue in this. And uh, there's very few things that I've walked away from. You know what I mean? That got nothing. I take it back. Not only a matter of difficulty, but a matter of atmosphere. Have I told you this story? You know, I worked for uh, – I did some work for Footcone and Belding, a big okay. advertising company. And it was um, trying to put together a content management system. And I had this thing where they'd give me some specs, and I'd go back and I'd put together a rudimentary one and say, so, what do you think? You know, tell me – give me – this is my first brush at it. Tell me what you like. And it's, it, my analogy is always, well, th- so I had this kind of nice Christmas tree. And instead of saying, well, we prefer – tinsel to garlands, and we prefer different colored lights, they would say, oh, we wanted a pine instead of a fir. They would just gut the thing. yeah. And so I did more than once, three times, I came back with kind of a new paradigmic thing, and they would tear it up again, and I kept code from previous times, so that sometimes what they reviled, now they liked again. But I was getting just so frustrated over... I'm not making any headway, and the way that this place works in my mind was kind of like madman. you They're in a room, and they're throwing ideas, and they're then they're you know it's all unstructured until because of time because we have to get something to ship because the presentation is tomorrow morning, so we're going to decide at midnight. And I just you can't work like that no. and stay sane. You have to get a spec, and you have to make code that meets the spec, and then if that's going to be maintained, you have to say, well, changes will cost you because oh, it wasn't in the original spec, and I didn't want to be. Negotiating every single time that I went in with, uh, you didn't talk about this before. (laughs) Well, can you just fit it in? I, 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 no, not in the frame that we've given me. And if you do, you're going to have to pay. What's a small change that your, your, your mercurial way that you do your brainstorming is very different than what you have to do to ground yourself in reality while you're coding. And honestly, that's the one that I was like giving myself ulcers. And I actually, the third time this happened, I kind of said, I, I am not your man. I really can't work like this. And it wasn't being, I don't think, prima donna. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't a diva about anything. It was, I had never, sometimes when you come in and you're the expert, people are respectful to you. I don't need anybody kowtowing, but I just want them to be that I'm an equal partner in it. And I kept feeling that I was just this, this punk coming in and they're going to like, they'll, they'll humor me with giving me specs, but they'll keep some things to themselves. You know what I mean? I have real emotion about this because it was, Uncomfortable to the
0: end. Yeah, exactly. you, can't, you can't do that. Uh, so one of my favorite stories, I, I had created a browser-based web app for this company, and at you know last minute, the one uh, owner boss goes, "Well, uh, I I want a button that does this, blah, whatever it was. I don't remember." I said, "Well, okay, let me go look at that." So take about this much time and stuff. Let me work up a quote to add this new feature on. She's like, well, what do you mean? It should be easy. Okay. You're not the programmer. Trust me. This isn't like the most simple thing. She she literally pulls up Word and goes, well, look, I just want that same button put here. That's all you got to (laughs) do. That's not how it works.
1: (laughs) How many times have you and I read Dilbert and said, was he looking over my shoulder? was he you know, just that you know what i mean every time to develop a worldwide server infrastructure it's like that'll take about two minutes you know
0: yeah I mean? uh, <laughs> yeah dover uh yeah i i just picked this one up I, I still read Dilbert. i'm not as much in the corporate world but i read it and i chuckle because i'm like oh yeah i remember those that's days right
1: a dozen things in there have happened painfully close for me oh so, it's crazy classy. When I used to do spec meetings, you know, I, I did any kind of things. I just talked about this with Colleen the other day about doing spec meetings and you're, you're getting people to, um, talk about what their current systems do and what they want to do in the new version and you're papering the walls. Back then it was, you know, not project from a laptop up and, um, and, and it was just at the cost if I remember correctly, where we started to be like, so no matter what we're doing, we're not doing Dilbert, right? Please don't, um, you know, withhold information. Don't, don't assume that, um, Every job that you don't understand is an easy job because <sighs> it's not. <laughs> and so I, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. And I, that's one of the reasons I was there for 13 years because I was pretty successful at it. But there were any number of times to go into it briefly. Ameritech was a five state region and they used to have, there, there were different sizes of business. And so as you might imagine, Illinois, then Michigan, then Ohio, I think that was the order they had the biggest. Call as to what has to be in the features because they had to have something that would work with what they currently have from being a baby Bell. Um, Wisconsin and Indiana had very specific features based on their their public utilities commission or whatever else it might be. So they had to continually activate. Uh, I'm sorry, advocate for. We yes, we need all those features, but we can't leave this out because it would be illegal. And the trade-offs that we continually had to make for. Well, so we just this is the feature set, and then can't tell you how many times it would be, wow, so we, we took weeks to talk through everything and we reviewed it here on the board, we reviewed it on paper, and now we're going to finalize this. And someone would pipe up with, well, what about this? It's like, I need your full attention while you're here. You really need to dedicate yourself to, you <laughs> can't make these other people in the room waste their time and another week lost because we have to go rewrite the spec. It, it has to be that we are bearing down <laughs> and not leaving anything out or... You know what that is? That's version two. It doesn't matter yes. if it's legal. That's going to be in version two of this product. We have to get here's to our product. spec.
0: If you want it by this date, this is all we can do. And, <laughs> exactly. and don't wait until a week before and say this needs change. It, it, it's not going to happen. It's it, that's uh, not how it's just not how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah, and luckily I was blessed by those two small states, Wisconsin, Indiana. That I had uh, one guy uh, that got on my side with. I didn't have to be the bad guy. He was the one that would say, practically, what we have to do is this. You know, sorry, Indiana. That might have been our problem child. I don't, you know, don't We need to defame the whole uh, state of right, Indiana. Right. But why not? But anyway. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We, we got to pass was, through just, there to get to Chicago. So be careful. <laughs> yeah. and in fact, I, it's, I'm loving this name dropping day. A gentleman's name from Wisconsin was Joel Narlock. Really brilliant. A blast to be around. One of those guys that it isn't just that you're working on this stuff together. You had a nice time doing it. You had a good sense of humor and stuff. He wrote an an early book, the earliest that I can think of seeing in print, about drones, about using, you know, semi-autonomous things in warfare, in criminal activity, if you will. And it was fascinating and really well done. I I wish that the name was popping out. Um, might have been something... Kind of generic, like executive action or something like that. But like, I was like, "Go, you know, write this book and then start a whole series." And you are you are the futurist that I really like from any number of people. Where it's not science fiction future going to other planets; it's taking what we currently have and just that next extrapolation of well, when we really do have genetic manipulation, what are the ups and downs of that? What are the the goods and bads? And just put it ten years in the future so that it really is like scary in a way of you know we could go either path here why don't we choose the good one because he's got (laughs) some telling examples of how it could go good or bad Uh, so hats off to joel narlock for having the visionary idea of what are we going to do when we have these things that are kind of untraceable you can send in swarms you can have if they're really autonomous then all of a sudden you've got something that can kill that doesn't have an overriding authority and he, he limbed out the uh Issues that we're still contending with today, and that would have been like in the mid '90s. Wow. You know what I mean? He, he was he was brilliant. So, nice. well done, Joel. Well done.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's shift gear for a second okay because uh, we made a whole list and it's like well that's you know out of, out of the window who cares Why, why bother thinking ahead <laughs> of time We don't follow it but it gives us something to look forward to maybe next week.
1: Okay so what, <laughs> but, how, but what did you want to talk to? I know that you had a couple things Oh were- well
0: first of all, let's go give some updates on a few things because we've okay. added a couple things to the website. Okay. Uh, we have a top 10 list page which we've only got one top 10 list at the moment. So <laughs> we need to jump on that and get get our second one. So think of something good for a second one.
1: Okay. Sometime.
0: Um, but we also put on there uh, a, a little bio about each of us and some of our talks, some of the get up in front of people, public speaking stuff. And I
1: haven't given you full information for here's what is in that talk. I'm still sorry working
0: about that. on that. Exactly. Um, but do you have any actual talks scheduled coming up? You know, now that, maybe things are changed a little bit.
1: (laughs) Um, actually, yes. I, for Baldwin Wallace university here in Cleveland, which is a a nice big concern. I'm actually teaching for their, um, adult learning section, um, a six session course starting in September and going into October about comic books. Nice. Um, it's, I, I've been able to, I have, as you know, a number of comic book talks that I've given. So I've been able to like repurpose some of those things and update them. So it's, um, uh, a history of comics in general. It's a history of comic book movies. It's a diversity in comic books. Female archetypes. Um, uh, famous, not famous. Um, mythical places, if you will. And uh, it's kind. Of, and I think it's kind of funny. I can never remember the sixth one, but I'm pretty sure that's like, oh, that's the one I said I was still going to work on. You know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of thing. But that'll be. It's um, my my little bone of contention, perhaps. Poor phrase is. I'm scheduled to speak live. It's good they have multiple facilities at the university and various different places. And right now I, I when they ask me what would I like to do, um, Zoom or remote learning, if you will, or regular, it's like, well, I really I think I get more energy and give off more, more energy out interacting. I really like that, That's so let's go with that. And then COVID, Delta variant, resurgence, Ohio not good. All of those things, and I'm like, well, if it's supposed to start in September, we need to start making the decisions perhaps now so they can publicize. It's not going to be in conference room A. It's actually going to be back to Zoom, and let's set all that up if we need to. Um, I'm looking forward to doing it, and and in fact, I I, I have to talk to Kent State. You know, it's now August. Their spring semester starts. That's kind of up in the air as to whether they're doing two days on, three days off, hybrid, remote, whatever it's going to be, but... That's a an outstanding talk that I have with them for what's the latest and greatest comic book topic that they'd like me to speak. That'll be like my fourth time speaking with them. Nice, and nice. It's nice. And what I've been working on with them, without going into it too much, is they I've done these talks, and they kind of make it one entry in a catalog, if you will. Well, What I'd like it to be is some of the things I talk about, they're not only of like, hey, maybe it'll be interesting to the kids. It's like well, this actually has some interest to sociology. The first way I got in there was there was a multidiscipline group that talked about history, sociology, you know, uh, uh, um, political science, that kind of stuff. And that's where I first did things about diversity and expanded on the diversity thing. That it wasn't only about multiple races of humanity. It was well, what about intelligent animals or uh, uh, AI and other? How about alien life forms? And so the comic book world allows you to expand into that. But it's also that it's always had, well, that's pretty much talking about what we're doing here or not. Are they treated as whole human beings or not? Having said that, I need to, I need to, uh, I don't have that scheduled, but I'm going to be working on seeing if that can get scheduled. And then all my little returns to the various different libraries that I had spoken of that all pulled back on me, they're still skittish. Uh, The ones I have talked to, um, Bay Village and stuff like that, they're still, you know, we're not, we're not doing talks because we can't, especially for kids, got to be especially careful they can't be vaccinated yet. They're just still working on how good and safe that is. Right. And I sure don't want to be Typhoid Al. I'll keep my mask on and everything, but I don't want to be, hey, they went to a talk and everybody got sick. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I that, that, have... there goes your talks. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I couldn't care less about my talks. I, I would hate to be that right. the actor that we created, you know, little Billy came in. He was, without knowing it, a carrier. <laughs> and all the Billies and Susies besides him got hurt and Oh, boy! Right. Oh, yeah, boy.
0: <laughs> it's, it's so tough because I've been trying to work up a couple of talks. Uh, mm-hmm. And the one I am doing one at the Western Pennsylvania RG coming up. Uh, Very good. The, okay. the supercharge kids talking with parents on the future of our work. Uh, you know, I walked into the one Walmart the other day and there was one cash register with a lady. The rest were self checkouts, you know. So, I mean, any of these kids that are nine, ten that might want to, you know, be a bag boy or something in a couple of years, they don't Even exist. Even that's going away. Yeah, exactly. you can't do it. So, you know, that's kind of the focus. And so I'm working on a couple others. Uh, and it's just, you know, where, where to do the talks right now. Yeah.
1: You know, so we're not going to be going to WPAM because usually that's Liberty weekend. And the family has a picnic and stuff. I didn't go. VML was just this last weekend. And so many of my good friends were there, but I, I, Colleen and I are being cautious about the yeah. resurgence, about, And and I I want to go visit my parents. I don't want to do anything that's going to queer the deal about I'm pure as the driven snow. In order to be able to do that, I'm ready for the the booster shot, etc., etc. But uh, Columbus is having one in the middle of October. Chicago's big one, you know, five hundred, six hundred people coming at the end of October, and we're having a meeting. uh, The committee meeting is this Thursday night to talk about: Are we going to be able to do this? If we have to be aware of if the if Illinois or the city of Chicago or the hotel, I'll say no. Nope. You know, restricted to 25 people in a room. That pretty much aces out a 500 person event. Pretentious drinking that I host, which usually has 200 of those 500. You can't really have yeah, you know who's sipping who's of liqueurs that? without lifting your mask. You that know, you huge. Have to drink a huge sippy cup exactly. So we're going to talk about those things. Very real world in or out. Uh, a band that I wanted to go see in Chicago at the end of this month, the residents, canceled their tour oh, because like of what's going on. And especially, they have a, one of the guys is in the Netherlands, and he can't get into the United States without quarantine and guarantee that he can go everywhere that he wants. Because whatever those international agreements are for what places are safe, the relative numbers, and so forth, he can't do it. Wow. And so, <laughs> you know, and I I just... I'm I'm glad that you're able that WPAM should be fun. I'm I'm hoping that we'll be able to return to speaking. I really Ellie and I have this conversation pretty often about wow, I really like live speaking. I really like the interaction with people, the laughter in the room, not the kind of chittery laughter of a Zoom session. And it's just very different. I oh, I, yeah. I am much more energized and heartened by a whole room full of smiling people instead of a little Brady's gallery it, of smiling yeah. faces. It just doesn't do the same thing for me. A no, yeah, absolutely. Stuff. Uh, so I'll do it if that's what's necessary, but my stuff is not necessary. You know what I mean? I'm not teaching like right. here it, how to, the real world practical skills of how to invest. It's not in brain surgery <laughs> or rocket science. It's not rocket surgery. Exactly. rocket that's- surgery. Right,
0: right. <laughs> um, so I, I want to ask, and I have a reason for jumping on this topic because we sure. have a couple we listed. Yes. Um. You you just talked about a movie that was horrible that you saw called Almost Heroes.
1: <laughs> Almost so, Heroes. So,
0: so, so what's up with that? And oh I have a God. reason for asking this, so I'll delve into that in Right.
1: a minute. So a little bit of a preface. Colleen and I have a wonderful thing where we really try to – we don't just watch randomly. We have some – like we watched all the AFI Top 100 movies. We have certain directors. We really want to – you said – I want to see every Hitchcock movie. He did so many great movies and we kind of want to see him in order so that we can see his growth as an artist. And I kind of, I don't say that tongue in cheek. It really is that you see amazing things happening in the course of movie history by following Hitchcock or somebody like that. So I really like Christopher Guest. He's done a, a number of like semi improv movies like Best in Show and For Your Consideration that are just hilarious, tongue in cheek, really well done, starting with Spinal Tap, even though he yes. didn't write that. That was the first of that genre, if you will. Um, and so having said that, I, I am a completist. We rented almost heroes, which is he's the director, but not the writer and not even seemingly a prime contributor because it's Matthew Perry and Chris Farley and a bunch of other character actors you've seen before, but it was unbelievably bad the fact that christopher guess was directing it i can't believe that he got to the end of a scene and said that's good on we go he yeah, must I, I didn't it. know he directed we it fix this. we got to put a like, it's a joke make it funny we got to get some laughter that isn't puerile 14 year old poo-poo humor how about so many of other things have been so witty and so knowing and just yeah. subtle and there was there's nothing less subtle than Chris Farley falling down again. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just He can be very funny, but this was his last movie, from what I understand. Right, it was. And I don't know. They just, they didn't they didn't, he, maybe the director, didn't have enough control over him to say, I'm going to need you to do that just a little less broad, just a little less ridiculous. Don't immediately launch into apoplexy every time that you're on camera. You know, it was just unbearably bad. And and what's just, what a surprise, after you've seen, you're like, I guess everybody has that, right? They did one movie just for the money. They did it as summer stock, where they had to be working. And somebody brought him in as a favor. And you know what I mean? Eugene Levy is in the movie, you know, right. kind of that part of the Second City TV connection. And it, it, it's the worst role I've ever seen him in. Wow. <laughs> and I just yeah, I heard it was. I mean, a actually, yeah, it it's it, one of those things like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it eight out of a hundred. It really And there's all kinds of reviews that echo a lot of what I just said. It was like I I kept waiting for anything to be funny. 90 (laughs) minutes lost of my – and Colleen left early. I actually stuck around to see it to the bitter, bitter end. You know what I mean? Maybe they're saving all the laughs for a big climax at the end. No, it frittered away my time.
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny because I just rewatched Casino Royale with uh, David – or Daniel
1: Craig Daniel Craig, exactly. uh, because
0: the new ones come in. So it's like, oh, I'm going to watch all yeah. his, not all the James Bond. I have seen okay. most of them, but I'm just his anyway, but I'm watching it and I started making, I guess, click a little bit between story and the filming and what the director and actors do, because you could very easily say, uh, you know, that this guy had something and he went into the airport and in the story, you could tell it simply as, James Bond followed him uh, and they fought and he captured the uh, briefcase. That's one line. But in the movie with the director, it's like 10, 15 minutes and there's a chase and there's a fight. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, I I see that with this, you know, over the top action movie that the story is James Bond chased him. They fought and he took the briefcase, but the movie is completely different and it could be done in like 30 seconds. And James Bond just walks up, shoots him, takes the briefcase, and that's boring. So nice. anyway, I, I started making that connection watching that. And it
1: Yeah. In order it, to heighten your involvement, it's like you really gotta care about that briefcase. And that's because it took a ton to get that yes, briefcase yeah. instead of it being I found it next to a guy I shot or <laughs> right. something. Like
0: that. And and it really shows the power that the director and the actors have to make yes. it come to life and make it their own. You know, we always joke about, Oh look, Tom Cruise is in a Tom Cruise
1: movie because it's exactly. the same freaking character. Every single <laughs> mean, movie. As Colleen says, you mean that cocky young guy, the one where he plays the cocky young guy? Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: those yes. Yeah,
1: every one of them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you also know what to expect when you go see it,
0: you know, right. it, that if you like that type of character, he typically chooses a role where that character fits so you know what you're getting in some ways that's
1: hats off he does choose good people to work with every one of the mission impossible movies i've been like these are great i love those (laughs) you know what i mean there's real stakes and he does his own stunts and so when you see him on top of a hundred story (laughs) tall building it's like tom man you got Balls of
0: platinum.
1: <laughs> yeah. Man, you, you are
0: <laughs> the, the one where he's hanging on the outside of the airplane, and they showed like the behind that? the scenes. And exactly. It is like you know, seventeen <laughs> times going up in the air, hanging on the side. Of course, he's got equipment. You know, I, I wouldn't expect anything less. And I wouldn't even do it with the damn equipment. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Screw that. I know that that serves his adrenaline need, and yet, no he. What an amazing thing that he has. That he, he has the ability to do that. He's got. The ability to focus, and he's got the body strength. And you know what I mean? He's got the coordination, and all that's very cool. I mean,
0: for his age, (laughs) he's uh, in incredible shape you know
1: absolutely i mean yeah. he
0: can you see him running in the movies and I, they show one of those scenes where the thing's going down the track and following him i'm like right okay i would have fallen over out of breath by this point and he's older <laughs> than i am so you know kudos man and that's probably not the first take i mean he's probably ran and that's that true track let's coming. go again
1: but i'm gonna do a little more steeplechase thing here over the track you know what <laughs> i mean <It's laughs> yeah. But yeah you're right the, the the those are really good movies
0: i mean i can't really say one's a dud at all because they're right. all slightly different and stuff. You know, yeah. uh, lots of good action. And I'm, I'm a sucker for good action movies. So
1: I'll tell you, we could, when we're talking about a top 10 list, we yeah. can have, we, we love doing the undiscovered things. Like yes. I have a whole bunch of movies that, unless I tell you about them, you might not see them, but I have loved them. And we also have a whole bunch of movies that you need to warn your friends away from. Uh, we Kevin once told me about Hobo with a Chainsaw, a Rutger Hauer vehicle. Wow. And I'm like, well, Rutger Hauer, I like him. It was was his last movie, I think. And it was just what you would expect. Like I guess he needed to make sure his family was taken care of. You know what I mean? It was so bad. So bad. (laughs) And yet, as opposed to being only pissed... I was kind of like laughing after a while. And we're like, sure, let's go there. <laughs> let's do that thing next. Yeah. Because as soon as violence the times can't,
0: <laughs> He can't afford socks, but damn it, he has a chainsaw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like that. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> hey, how about some change? <laughs> Once in a while, I want to watch a movie that Colleen steps into the room. And a minute on the screen, she's like, you do that, honey. I'm going to go do something much more sensible than guns and explosives and <laughs> chainsaws and hobos.
0: <laughs> that sounds like the best. Well, th- that's funny you say the worst movies, because this is why I was bringing this up. It's some I'm doing self-promotion uh, here. Okay. My buddy, Reese, who I have known since like third or fourth grade. All right. Uh, and we've known forever. I told you a little bit about him. He has been watching horror movies and keeping track of them and rating them and giving him a little synopsis. Right.
1: So he's got the encyclopedia of horror. Being yeah. built. That's
0: See, really cool. I told him, I said, dude, you need to write a book. You need to start going to colleges and stuff. And he's like, I'm not an expert. Yes, you are the expert. I don't know if there's anybody in the world that has watched 1,200 horror movies except you. That makes you the expert de facto. Just exactly. end, the, end the story. And he keeps he haunting. Nah, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, okay. So I, I said, hey, how about this? How about if we do a podcast where we do it like in seasons and and take a theme and watch 10 movies with that theme, but movies that most people haven't heard of. I, I said my criteria is no real big name actors, no real big Hollywood budget, not the biggest ones, you know, so not the conjuring, not Friday the thirteenth or any of those. Like you said. Yeah. And and so he's like, Well, I think I can come up with some. So okay. he's got three seasons worth of lists, and we've been working our way through season one. All right. And uh, I don't, there's only one or two of the movies out of the 10 that I had even heard of uh, before we did this. So we're watching these and we're reviewing them and doing an analysis of the movie. Uh, so uh, it's called Horror Lasagna. And our, <laughs>
1: isn't that great? funny. I was going to throw out, you might want to call it Terror, in, uh, terror Cognita, a right. variation on Terror, terror Incognita. Right. And, that, like, and if you liked it, then uh, send me a pizza. You know what I mean? <laughs> right there. Yes, horror yes. Lasagna. Very well, cool. Okay. Because
0: we were just chatting. We said, okay, let's do a little intro that we can put up before the <clears> season <throat> mm-hmm. and just tell people a little bit about us and what, why we want to do this, et cetera. Yeah. And we were just chatting like you and I do. And I said something, he goes, yeah, it's kind of like a horror lasagna. That's the new, that's, that's it the name. right there. Yep. <laughs> it just got thrown out. And so uh, I, I'm going to, I'll put a link in, but uh, we've been having a lot of fun with that. Um, very cool. I, and he's like, well, you know, do you think we'll do a fourth ep- uh, fourth season? Because I've got 10 more. I got this scene. <laughs> so the first season's theme is movies about buddies or friends. And it's all more okay. movies. But I guarantee you probably haven't heard of or seen most of these movies ever. And I don't even know what all the ratings are because you have to appreciate them in a, a way other than how you evaluate a, a popcorn thriller, uh, you know, in the summer.
1: Absolutely, th- They're
0: different. Uh, and, and we started off really dark. And I'm like, we probably shouldn't have done so dark for the early episodes. Uh, okay. But the end of the season's ending up more lighthearted and humorous. Uh, awesome. But a few good movies.
1: I'll tell you, that's a great theme. I mean, I know that horror movies are a perennial good seller. There's a reason yeah. that they keep getting made and that you can often make them for less expensive you don't necessarily have to have big special effects you need to have makeup effects in some ways and that's so much less than a battle cruiser in space you know what i mean so i and it just is whatever it speaks to humanity of the more that we get kind of wonder bred in our life that everything is normal and the same and so forth people have the desire for love or terror or you know what i mean extraordinary emotions because things kind of level out after a while in your life right how interesting And and the fact that you've got this guy that knows so much, oh yeah, we love doing this. You know what I mean? Here's the here's the things that unless we include you, when I, I if if we have Halloween, I intend to do a talk about progressive rock, and I don't want to just say the same albums that everybody's heard of. Right, right. Well, there's modern stuff going on, and this is an obscure one, but you really should get Intergalactic Touring Band, and that's one of my joys of turning a friend onto something that they wouldn't have stumbled on their own. But boy, it's worth it. It's really worth seeking this out. Right. So. It's funny you mentioned budget, too, because two of the movies on
0: our list Mm -hmm. cost $6,000 to make.
1: Right. that's it held cameras or whatever they have nowadays yeah. it does steady cam, but it's all yeah. intensive nowadays yeah that's very cool. and,
0: and they were actually uh really good uh in different ways and we talk we talk about um the themes of the movies and what we picked out of it the symbolism because we have a friend that's huge on symbolism so it's always a big thing to talk about right around and uh you know it, we even say Good movies, bad movies, complete spoilers, because we're talking about the movie from beginning to end. Exactly. Uh, and, and, man, the very first movie is probably the most disturbing movie I have ever seen in my life. Wow, that so he started I,
1: off with a bang. Oh, oh man. and
0: I would not even mention this movie or recommend it to 99.9% of the people I know at all. That right. no, there's very few people that would understand and appreciate watching it i guarantee colleen would hate it absolutely you might not the one that gets
1: the church's picketing saying this movie shouldn't even exist oh exactly allowing this to be out there yeah
0: and we even said that we're like you know it's amazing that this exists and that but the thing was he's like does it make me a bad person when i can understand and almost sympathize with the the force that's creating this i'm like i know (laughs) i thought the same thing i'm like what is wrong with me but then we said, that's how well done the movie is that the director did this, that it makes you question some of your own beliefs and values in a very significant way. To the <laughs> point where it's like, why don't we take a break for a couple of days before we do another one? Because I, I really need to clear my head. It is right. really that
1: disturbing. Exactly. Oh, very, you know? okay. But then
0: the last movie I watched was called Suck. And it's a vampire rock and roll movie. Okay. And Iggy Pop is in it and Alice Cooper and Alex Lifeson from Rush is in it. How uh, interesting is and, that? Okay. Yeah, and it's very uh, they do claymation, but <laughs> it looks like some 8th grader did it for a project at school. I mean, it, it, but it's purposefully done bad. Uh and I loved every minute of it. Just had a very really good. good time with it. So, yeah. you know, it's just across the board. Uh been, been very fun. Uh so I'll put a link in, I'll tell you about some of the movies you should Some of them, I guarantee you've never heard of. Uh, Some probably aren't worth seeing for most people, but overall.
1: I'm curious, but I know I've said this before. I really don't want to have images put into my head that I can't get rid of in some ways. And so I don't know that I'm going to watch the worst of them, the goriest of them, the most disturbing of them, because I'm just kind of okay to be sheltered from that.
0: Well, I I tell you right now, the two you do not want to see are Martyrs and La, La Casa Muda because those were the most disturbing ones we've seen so far. Wow. Okay. But it, there's a vampire one called Byzantium that is almost an art piece. And uh, interesting. it's, it's interesting to watch. There's nothing that's hugely disturbing and the vampire stuff in it is like minuscule. It's like the story itself is more important than the vampire okay. stuff. So, it, you know, it's Sounds interesting. Okay. all over okay. the place.
1: Very yeah. Good
0: some good stuff, and then, of course, we're ending the uh, the season with uh Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. It's a series
1: uh, there we go. <laughs> so I think I, I think I've seen I know that there's one with uh let's see Dale and somebody Dale,
0: um, um d- uh, Dale and Todd Todd and Dale, something like, uh, against evil with. Against Alan evil. Tudyk.
1: Okay, exactly. So yeah. I, I, I wonder if it's some, you know, of that series or like that, if you will. So, I think
0: it's okay. like that. I haven't watched it yet. Right. It's very lighthearted. In fact, after some of the disturbing ones, he said, Well, I jumped ahead and watched some of that because I
1: needed something a yeah. little different. Actually, I'll throw, by the way, again, kind of a, a shift, but. We've now had, you know, your your your. It's wonderful that you're finding um, folks to podcast with, and that you're really delving into places where they have the knowledge that nobody else has, and right. we're capturing that. As you know, we've had a couple of guests on our show. We had, um, you know, Tetsukora That's and now great. Catherine Carisman. And um, I just wanted to mention, kind of online and live. She had concerns because we covered so much good information, but oftentimes in real time. I make tons of mistakes. I, I think just last yeah. episode I talked about, right. oh, exactly. yeah, the reason you get that um, uh, green going to orange effect is because your rods get tired and it's a, no, it's your cones. It's cones oh, that are colored. Oh, cones. cones okay. are color. CC. So yeah. I bet. but she talked about how, you know, she had a couple slips where she said like uh, Statue of Liberty instead of Liberty Bell. And I, in email and, and we've talked with her, I reassured her like, boy, you, you gave so much good information that people aren't looking to like jump on you for a little slip. Yeah. But now we, we should also, I think we will, have an errata section on I our... I did. I put it Wednesday. up on her
0: uh, Thank you so much, notes.
1: because yeah. I so much want our guests to be comfortable, to yeah. know that we are, we are you know, they're our friends, we're taking care of them, and that I I always think we get to talking about so many different things, and I know that there's got to be all kinds of, like, poor vocabulary, we missed this, a perfect yep. reference yep. that we skipped past, whatever, but that's part of the joy of doing things live is... You are you're alive without a net. You might be able yeah. to say later on, hey, I meant this instead of that. And and the people that care too much that are more critical than they are appreciative, like we're not doing this for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not doing yeah. this to be perfect. We're not doing this to avoid having someone come after us.
0: <laughs> I have a great idea for a live podcast that probably would have worked a lot great at Weem, but who knows? Okay. That it's the RG challenge, the RG at the RG challenge. Okay. There we go. <laughs> they 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 throw. Here's a topic. Discuss it for five minutes, and we discuss it. Or w- do an imitation of this actor. Or <laughs> uh, name five songs like this trivia. Um, just whatever little uh, you know. Can you spin in a circle and blah blah and say the top ten? The l- just stupid little stuff <laughs> like that. But but okay. in in a very geeky challenge way. Uh, for us to just spew off of. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of fun. We probably like really look like
1: goofballs, but man, that sounds fun. I'll tell you, it's, you know, I was in debate in high school, but I occasionally also did extemporaneous speaking when the the IE team needed me. And I was always amazed at, is there anything in the world that I couldn't talk about for five minutes? Right. I know that's an arrogant, ridiculous thing to say, but unless it's remarkably sophisticated, important to get it right type stuff. Yeah, Yeah. I'm so... Goofy, there's a skill to it. Red. Yeah, you know, what I mean, you just start diving in and make connections and make it funny and like, and, and boing, five minutes is up. It's like, well, that was nothing. Yeah, yeah, most people could if they wanted to. They just don't think they right. can, but and they get nervous. Uh,
0: yeah, you yeah. know, we did not talk about Wizard World and uh, Fan Expo.
1: That's right. Fan Expo having gobbled up Wizard World. Yeah, you know, you know that there's all kinds of changes from COVID because some companies just couldn't weather the storm of if all their income, all their whatever is based on getting these big gatherings together and then that dries up for a year and a half and they didn't build reserves and, and they just couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Whatever right. they did virtually was nowhere near the revenue generator that it was going to be. So they became vulnerable and a big company called Fan Expo has gobbled up wizard world. And I think that they're still, I they already have like eight shows scheduled in various right. different places, including here in Cleveland. So I'm curious. I'd like to see how they handle things. I, I know that by reputation, I don't know, wizard world is already not mostly about comic books. It has the whole array of geek culture, if you will. But the more that they get into, to me, celebrity signings and, and rarefied, well, I, I I paid to get in and now I still don't have anything that I can go do except the show floor because everything costs that has, it's off putting to me. I want to meet my heroes, but I, I don't want to pay 30 bucks to just shake his hand for two seconds or to Anyway, um, my personal silly concern was I've spoken at Wizard World a couple of times. And now that that's changing, I'm hoping that I can say, well, I used to work with Bill. And, hey, Tom, you're the new guy, but you my, I, you can go look in the old program. I'll even <laughs> fax you a copy. Right. Instead being, you know, oh, my God, you're that old school. Hey, I'll send you as an attachment to scan of a copy that proves <laughs> I did it. And maybe that same string can continue that when they come in, I think they're looking for speakers. And it doesn't all have to be interviewing the animator of Archer, it really can be a guy that knows a little bit about comic books, a guy that knows a little bit of horror right. movies, that kind of stuff. So, and and I don't know. Then, then I, 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 if I remember correctly, the last time it was, I got some little payment and I got my my attendance comp. And yeah, that's so that's cool. You know what yeah, I mean? If I can cool. the show for free, that's worth an hour talk on my part and whatever yeah. I put into yeah. it.
0: So, <laughs> and it other things. All yeah. right, before we go, I got the word of the week. Yes, and you may know this one. I am not okay. sure. I didn't know it. Capitonym.
1: Oh, it's right. Uh, I I think it's where the the um, depending on whether you capitalize a word or yes. not, it changes sound or it changes meaning for it sure. Changes, yeah, so like to march along versus march, march. the month. Right. Things like is that okay? That's, That's it.
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I had not heard that one before. That was a new one to me. So the other was Polish and Polish. Taught,
1: right, you know? exactly.
0: I was yes. like, oh, in China, and China.
1: China, exactly. Um, especially like where it's both. That it actually changes pronunciation as yes. well as meaning. You know, that's kind of yes. a cool double. Exactly. Like
0: a, <laughs> like a, um, they have uh, August and August, but I said, oh, that's probably August and August.
1: There you go. Exactly. Uh, you know,
0: um, mm-hmm. Hamlet, Hamlet, Mark and Mark. So yeah, I was like, yeah. there's our word of the week. I didn't know it. I'm sure others don't, <laughs> don't know it. Uh, it. I didn't discover it. I saw somebody else posted, but I
1: was, figured I'd share. Yeah. I, so. I, it's, it's kind of funny. I love that there are new things being developed like that. I just had a discussion, at, wrong, something popped up in my feed about having had a discussion three years ago about the difference between a backronym and a retronym. And okay. by that meaning, there are some things where um, it takes on a new meaning different than its old meaning because the old thing is now distinct. Um, and there's others where you have an existing word and you create the acronym that matches it because you want that word to have significance. And so you make it that it, you know, (laughs) each of the letters has a word behind it. And of course, you know fleeing from my mind are examples of that, but it was no, you know, it's that the thing already exists, but it's like, I don't know when you start saying, um, pencil, but now you have to differentiate between lead pencil and mechanical pencil because mechanical pencils came to be, you know what I mean? So that kind of thing of there's a differentiator. um, I know that we had any number of systems I designed to wrap the discussion like we always do when I was working for Ameritech that we were like, what would be a good connotation word for this? How about STEP, the shared tables environment platform? (laughs) And it's like, well, it's a little contrived, but the fact that, that was already, like, we, we made the thing match the word we wanted it. Right, to be, right. Instead of it being, it's hard to pronounce, it doesn't have a meaning. You know, we, we actually had a system called ASIS, which was like the Automatic uh, Computer Information System or something like that. They developed a whole other system of things that have been left out of ASIS, and so I suggested calling it BOA bastard of aces <laughs> they didn't go for that but i thought it was the truest thing you could have come up with right, yeah that's great oh well so,
0: yeah all right okay. so there's our word of the week we're, we're more intelligent that's a now. good word that's a great yeah, word exactly. i like that one so okay good one and we still have some stuff to go on to a little bit
1: more next week exactly as, as you know we always throw out half a dozen topics and we get to like two or three but yeah it's because some are current, and because we get to talking, and it's still... And we try and keep it mixed
0: up, so it's not yeah. always the same thing. Oh, but, but right. come up with whatever you want the next ten, top ten list to be, or the next exactly. ten list, however. Work
1: on that. Oh, well, in fact, uh, let's see. I, uh, not So I wanted to talk about Sin City. What oh, that's we should right. talk about is maybe, like, what's a body of work? that's not individual issues, but is there an ongoing series that it's really worth... Seeking out all of them because the body of work is, is even better than any of the individual issues. Right. And I think that since he might qualify for one of those, Probably. it resonates entirety. It's like, man, did he do a great job? Cerebus, you know, by Dave Sim, is it's, it's monumental. So, how about that you know bodies okay. of work as opposed to Ooh. individual issues
0: well that's going it takes a little bit of thinking <laughs> <laughs>
1: it'll take some thought but we'll, yeah. we'll work on it we'll get <laughs> okay it. okay cool thanks very much take care steven later man
0: you have been listening to the relentless geekery podcast come back next week and join alan and steven's conversation on geek topics of the week